everyone, and thank you for listening to the 24th ever episode of the Missouri Sports Podcast, brought to you by 106 Apparel and recording from the Revel Advertising Studio in beautiful Springfield, Missouri. I'm one of your hosts, Cameron Albert, alongside my good friend and fellow Mizzou fan, Kyle DeVries. How are you doing today, Kyle? I'm great. How are you doing today, Cameron? I'm doing very well. I, I was actually talking to producer Cameron. <laughs> yeah. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing good. We never ask you. We never ask you how you're doing. And it's because we don't care. <laughs> all right i'll see you guys later (laughs) (laughs) but i'm doing well i think uh we have a good episode Uh, despite the half of the subject matter is kind of depressing and dire um there's silver linings all over the place and we get to officially put the football season behind us it's basketball season from here on out which should be fun but more fun than we thought it might be, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> but first, we've got some news items. Uh, the first news is a little bit of housekeeping for the podcast. We have an announcement of sorts. We, the three of us, will be credentialed media at the Bass Pro Shops Tournament of Champions in Springfield, um, January 17th, 18th, and 19th. So what that means, we're not exactly sure. We're going to be there. Uh, We'll get to maybe do some cool things, talk about it on the podcast. But we just I just kind of sent an email as a shot in the dark, seeing if there was any opportunities, and there were. So that's exciting. We obviously love the Tournament of Champions, so we'll have some special content surrounding that in the next couple weeks. That's definitely exciting. Yeah, if you're not familiar with the Tournament of Champions in Springfield, it's probably one of the the better high school basketball tournaments in the country. If not the best. If not the best. Yeah, it's just a fantastic event, and it's really, really well attended here in Springfield and something we look forward to every year. And some of the, I mean, the number one player in the country, James Wiseman, is going to be there this year. And so normally some some pretty uh, historic basketball programs are there every year. A lot of former NBA players went through the Tournament of Champions, a ton of D1 talent every year. So. So mm-hmm. and it's a guy always you, fun to watch. A guy you might be familiar with, uh, Trey Jackson, is going to be playing this year, as well as another guy you may be familiar with, EJ Liddell, is going to be that? there as I well. Don't, I, don't, so I don't know who that I've is. I've heard his name somewhere, but and I <laughs> just feel like I don't really like him that much anymore. But he's going to be playing, and we will be watching. Yep. So. Molly Call is another name that we've talked about that will be there, so it should be fun. Um, but to move on to some Mizzou news, Christian Guess is transferring from Mizzou basketball. He... I think played less than 10 minutes. I want to say I saw somewhere he played seven minutes and committed three fouls uh, in the Kansas State game. So he will no longer be on the roster. We, we've we been talking about the fact that, I mean, anybody that knows much about college basketball and just how roster turnover works and everything like that, we kind of assumed that something had to give as far as how many guards were on this roster and sort of the depth at the position it just looked like you know eventually one of these probably one of these freshmen was not going to be on the team long term and um i i would say it's a good thing for missouri that this was you know that this has come early in the process uh, so that the so that the kid can move on so christian guest can move on and find a better fit and so that the team can move on and plan what they're going to do without him Yeah, he was a really late addition in the recruiting process. I mean, just like a few months before the freshmen were supposed to be here. Incredibly late. I mean, it was basically 
it, the only reason he was on the team is because um, Kellen Van Leer had the medical retirement, so that freed up his scholarship. Yeah, and the only reason that he was even available at that point was a con- I think there were some academic or eligibility concerns. Mm-hmm. I think those kind of found themselves popping up even after he was here. So nothing surprising about this. Um, seems like every single year there's at least one freshman who just doesn't stick and, and moves on, which is fine. Um, so good luck to Christian Guess. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's definitely transfer season all across uh, NCAA basketball right now, though. Um, another name that some of you might be familiar with is Cartier Gordon. He played with Courtney Ramey at Webster Groves High School in St. Louis, and he went to St. Louis University, and he is now transferring from St. Louis University. I It's not a terribly surprising transfer, just considering he's kind of had a tumultuous recruitment and, um, you know, it's kind of a known thing that maybe he's not the best teammate at times. I don't know. Nobody really knows the circumstances specifically for the transferring from SLU, but you kind of have to assume it's maybe some of the same things that people have been talking about for years with him. Yeah, I mean, this is the reason why he didn't end up at Mizzou. I'm not sure his dream was to always play at SLU. I could be wrong, but uh, I just I think he's just a difficult person to get along with sometimes, and he's got some... Uh, some baggage obviously so uh, he's not going to be ending up at Mizzou I can tell you that and it's for the same reasons that he didn't end up at Mizzou um, after high school so uh, you just forget about that yeah <laughs> it's not going to happen and it, I'm we should be glad it's probably not going to happen talented player yeah top uh, 75 guy in his class right I mean, and he was averaging like 10 points a game this year for St. Louis but it's just not not going to be worth the, the trouble here yeah, I saw Memphis as a team possibly that he might – a landing spot possibly for him. He did play for a short while on Penny Hardaway's AAU team, who is now the coach at Memphis. So that would be that would be a big deal. They've got a lot of big time, including uh, James Wiseman being a big-time recruit mm-hmm. going to Memphis in the next few years. So Yeah, Memphis is uh, definitely assembling some talent over there for sure. So maybe watch for that. I saw that on Twitter. So um, – but overall, it's just kind of a shame to see a top 75 guy that just can't. He never really got recruited like he should have um, with the talent that he has. And hopefully wherever he ends up, he has a successful career and kind of can stick and find a good fit. We saw him and Courtney Ramey play at the Tournament of Champions last year. Yeah. And <clears throat> at that time, we had no idea where either of them were going. So, uh, But it's been quite the roller coaster ride with both of them. Yeah both names that people kind of forgotten about in the Mizzou circles after yeah. they went elsewhere. So, um, Jalen Terry was a guy that we talked about a couple weeks back, um, possibly coming to Mizzou for basketball. Um, he had a commitment date of December 27th. And then he announced last week that he's going to push that back. He hasn't announced a new date yet. Um, I saw some Mizzou, uh, writers on Twitter saying that this, was only maybe a good sign for Mizzou that he was taking some more time. Um, I'm not really sure either way. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't. He wasn't going to commit to Mizzou on his original date, so it can only be a good thing for right. Mizzou's chances at this point. And then, last bit of news here was just a funny slash interesting story, and also a kind of aggravating story out of some high school basketball in. Uh, southeast Missouri it comes from Dora High School which I'm pretty sure is a 1a school kind of out in the Mark Twain National Forest area of Missouri and Kyle you know nothing about this correct I know absolutely nothing about this okay so 
Dora High School has three triplets on their basketball team. And there's video circulating in sort of the local high school sports scene of the triplets, one of them getting fouled for shooting foul, two of them kind of walking close to each other, maybe bumping into each other a little bit and kind of circling around each other, and then the other triplet walking to the free throw line while the other one goes and talks to the coach. The other triplet, uh, we can assume, is a better free throw shooter and takes the free throws on behalf of the other one. Oh, my. And they recently won a local tournament. They won the championship game by two points, and that was where this was found out on video of them swapping uh, free throw shooters mid-game. That is like next level. <laughs> like that is like sleight of hand magician type stuff. Yeah, it's and crazy. their coach is their father. Of course. And he is also the principal of the high school. Of course. So uh, he might be in a little bit of trouble. That's some small town basketball for you right there. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm surprised they even had a like some kind of device to record video. <laughs> so it was the it was the opponent the opposing team's parents that actually figured it out and sent the video out to the news outlets and things. Do you but think that anyone had been like on their trail about it or they just happened to be filming for, for no reason and, and saw it, it on looked film? Like the film that I saw just looked like game film mm -hmm. that you would want to watch afterwards. It kind of had that high up perspective of the whole court. Gotcha. So it looked just like normal game film that somebody was going over and then they realized, hey, this isn't right. But once it came out, other parents from previous um, from schools that they had played earlier in the season came out and said, you know, we thought something kind of seemed weird about that. Wow. <laughs> that is honestly only something that could happen at yeah, like a really small school yeah. or something. I just, I don't know how you get away with that kind of stuff. Officials kind of, making seven bucks a game or something. And, <laughs> you know, but we were, I was talking to producer Cameron about this yesterday and we were thinking like as an official, you're not really concerned. You're concerned about who committed the foul. Mm -hmm. It never, it wouldn't go through your head to make sure the person that got fouled is the one at the line. Like you wouldn't put extra thought into that. So does that mean all three of them are on the court at the same time, pretty much most of the time, you think? I don't know for sure. Um, there was just the two in the two clips that I saw it was looked like it was the same two that were swapping places mm. after getting fouled. And like to win a championship game in a tournament by two points, and you were doing that. It's ballsy. Yeah, and it's just that's such a scummy move it on is. part of their dad slash coach slash principal. Like, I don't know. I I don't. I'm hesitant to say that that's like a like a fireable offense. But if you are any involved with that school in any way, and you know that your high school principal is doing this, right? Like your that, entire reputation, yeah. like is depending on that little thing that you just want this other kid to shoot free throws instead of his brother yeah it's kind of a kind of risky but i mean it just kind of speaks to someone's character if they're willing to do that in a high school basketball game what else are they willing to fudge to try to get on top mm -hmm. but i don't know it's crazy and just like urban meyer was that the coach <laughs> yeah his name was urban meyer it was the meyer triplets <laughs> <laughs> But I think this this coach slash principal probably is enrolled in Urban Meyer's leadership program at That's uh, probably Ohio State. He, he learned that trick. But I mean, and just like to say, you know, you're not as good of a free throw shooter. Instead of making you better at shooting free throws and getting you comfortable shooting free throws in the game, uh, we're just gonna have your brother shoot your free throws because he's better at it. Yeah, it's just insane. So I just wanted to bring that to your attention because I thought that was a crazy that's story. That's pretty great. And yeah, that's a pretty unique story. 
I wanted to publicly shame the Dora uh, head coach slash principal. And now, since we got some laughs out of the way, we will move on to not as much of a laughing matter, the Liberty Bowl recap. Mm. We had to do it. Um, Missouri lost this game, unfortunately. If you haven't heard, they lost 38 to 33. And I just don't know what to say. Anything you want to say up front? I mean, we weren't really looking forward to this matchup. I, I feel like it was kind of a lose. It was kind of a lose-lose situation for Missouri. If they lose this game, they got upset. You know, they lose their ranking. It's just a sour end to the season. If they if they win the game, I mean, the seniors go out on top. They stay in the top 25, but they were supposed to win the game, and the fans were kind of indifferent about the matchup in mm -hmm. general. So. Yeah, that's the problem with bowl season, and I mean, there's really no way to, to change it, but um, a lot of times you find these, well, not necessarily uneven matchups, but you find these matchups where one team probably should win, uh, but as I talked about last week, it's rarely, you, you rarely see the truest effort possible from both sides, and it seems like it's largely determined by which which team is motivated and and how motivated are they and what are the the factors fueling the teams and because it just seems like there's a lot of head scratching results at bowl season that I'm like I'm not sure <laughs> Georgia would lose to Texas yeah. you know if this Play game happened games. at the beginning of the year or yeah exactly or whenever they've got the whole year ahead of them have no idea what what the season has in front of them mm -hmm. I'm not sure that game goes that way. Um, yeah, I was going to say, we saw that when we picked the SEC matchups and looking at watching some of those games, just like, what is going on? Like, these teams are right. playing so differently than they have all season. Right. It's, like, I, I'm just, I don't think South Carolina is very good, but I'm pretty sure they're not like six touchdowns worse than Virginia or exactly. whoever they played. So, yeah. and I'm pretty sure Missouri would have beat Oklahoma State pretty handily if they played a month ago. So, all that to say, I'm not. I'm not saying that Oklahoma State's a bad team. They played a really good game. I'm, I mean, I don't want to make excuses for Missouri. They just didn't show up, and there were a lot of the same coaching errors that we kind of saw throughout the season. Um, it's easy to kind of write this game off and say, "Oh, it's just a bowl game. Who cares?" Uh, I would say I was still pretty like pretty salty after, after oh, this yeah. game, and I was still really really wanted Missouri to win. Yeah, um, we'll we'll recap it a little bit here. Um, Missouri started out with a three and out. And I would say the offense as a whole was kind of disappointing the whole game. Drew Locke played really well. Larry Roundtree played really well. It just seemed like, I, I mean, I guess it was the red zone execution. Red zone finishing drives is really what hurt them the most. They went three and out in their first drive. Um, Oklahoma State's first drive started out promising from Missouri. Terry Beckner Jr. got a sack and forced a fumble. Unfortunately, it was recovered by a Cowboys lineman. And then they went 80 yards and 11 plays to go up 7-0. And it didn't take very long for Oklahoma State's offense to kind of show they're probably going to be able to move the ball against the Missouri defense, barring turnovers. And it looked like, you know, a disrupt disruptive play like Terry Beckner Jr. had, that was going to be what could derail the Oklahoma State offense. They weren't probably weren't just going to stall out on their own mm -hmm. and not be able to pick up first downs. You were going to have to stop them by turning them over most likely right and we we knew our cornerbacks weren't going to win this game for us uh we talked about last week in our preview that i'm not sure missouri's played a prolific offense uh and oklahoma state's got a really solid offense mm -hmm. on all three levels they're really pretty good and 
they just from right off the bat we we saw our defense get exposed and I don't think anybody was surprised and the the defense has gotten a lot better this season but uh I'm not sure that Oklahoma State might be the best defense we played all excuse me the best offense we played all year they definitely looked like it on the field um in this game because like like I'm saying they just seemed like it, it reminded me of the Purdue game where it just seemed like they were gonna get a first down every time they snapped the ball yep um Missouri did get the ball back and had a really nice completion for 58 yards to Emmanuel Hall, um, but that drive stalled out at the seven-yard line. Um, McCann kicked a 24-yard field goal. The score was seven to three, Oklahoma State. And just it's just so disappointing to get to the opponent's seven-yard line and have the drive stall there and have to kick a field goal. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean that's what did Missouri in in this one. They they we'll see. They drop. They fall way back in this one comes storming back and they just they just can't finish it off because in part because they had to settle for field goals instead of getting touchdowns on some of these drives yeah the red zone red zone issues were very apparent in this game and it's not really something i felt like missouri struggled with this year but for whatever reason in this game they just could not punch it in no matter how close they got and uh larry roundtree had a fantastic game but he really kind of struggled at the beginning of this game uh, it would have been really nice if we would have been able to get just a little bit more of a push on the line at the beginning of this game, maybe uh, get an extra few points in there. Yeah, Missouri did finish the first half pretty on a pretty strong note, though. Um, the teams went punt, 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 uh, then Missouri was pinned really deep um, after Oklahoma State's punt, but they went on a 16-play, 97-yard touchdown drive that ended in a five-yard um, completion to Jacinto for the score. Um, I always like seeing freshmen get involved and make big plays and that drive looked like it was going to spark something and, and they played well the rest of the first half um oklahoma state did answer with a touchdown of their own that was the one where ac got called for defensive holding on the would-be play that would have ended that drive um it was just a lot of the same mistakes that we've seen in missouri's losses this year but missouri came right back with some more big chunk plays 25 yarder to jacinto Larry Roundtree broke off a 23-yard run and then a 16-yard score to Kendall Blanton. He made a spectacular one-armed catch sliding into the end zone. Um, and then Tucker McCann missed the extra point. So it was 16-14 to 14 Mizzou um, going into halftime. They did get another chance there at the end of the first half but weren't able to do anything with it. So the offense looked good this the second Basically, the whole second quarter, mm-hmm. it looked like Missouri's game to lose. Yeah, just to piggyback off what you said about some of the young guys, uh, we've talked about it a hundred times, but there's a lot of a lot of potential in some of these younger players. Jacinto and Knox, for sure, both had big plays in this game. And Knox I, had a really big play a little bit later. Yeah, he did. Um, <laughs> but I can remember just some of these players that are seniors now when they were freshmen, and specifically Emmanuel Hall. And, you know, it's like, oh, that, that guy's got some potential. And, you know, look at what he's done this year and, and his junior year. You know, he kind of just exploded. And it's exciting to think that you could see that much growth in some of these young players who are already pretty good, like Jacinto and Knox. So, yeah, and, how much Baby, these guys so. have contributed? They've contributed way more than Hall did as a freshman. Oh, way, way more. Yeah. So, yeah, that's certainly exciting. Um, yeah, Blanton just kind of always seemed to be inconsistent in his career, improved a lot, got his body pretty impressive you know he i think he's going to get nfl looks based just solely on his potential mm-hmm. uh 
but yeah, he would come up with these remarkable plays sometimes like this in his career. And then I other wish times, we could have got a better angle of the yeah. catch on this one because the angle, the camera angle is always kind of behind him. You couldn't right. really see exactly what happened, but you could see one arm was like pinned behind him. He yeah. had to catch it with just Pretty one much. hand, basically. Yeah, and he, I remember him having some other pretty spectacular one-handed touchdown catches and stuff so uh it's a shame that we couldn't have seen that blanton maybe a little bit more in his career uh but still um pretty happy to see where he came in his four years but uh, i wanted to talk a little bit about just that last drive they had going into halftime yeah i'm not really sure anybody knew what the plan was there because they looked like partly it looked like they wanted to score they wanted to be aggressive they had a ways to go but I think they, they if they really wanted there. to, they could have gotten into field goal range at the yeah. very least. Um, but they had that weird play where Beatty like caught a pass pretty much with he caught the ball with like one yard to go for the first down and instead of just kind of falling north and south, he kinda of ran sideways mm-hmm. for a while and didn't get the first down and looks like they just kinda of gave up after that play. Um, so it was kind of a disappointing. Are you telling me that Missouri football ended the first half poorly? That's what I'm getting at, yes. Oh, my gosh. That's uh, really surprising. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> just another one of those head scratchers from from Odom where I'm like, what what were you do, trying to do here? Yeah. I mean, either just take a knee or, or just, you know, air yeah, it out I and mean, try to score. Yeah, and they get they, the ball with two and a half minutes left, so they're not just going to give up on that drive right they kind of played in a way where it's like are you trying to score or not right yeah so i was i was a little disappointed at that and obviously if we could have punched it in for a score this game might look a little bit different and it might have given them some momentum uh coming out of halftime yeah so after halftime oklahoma state just jumped all over missouri so i'll tell you what happened and then we can react to it a little bit um they scored a touchdown. Oklahoma State scored a touchdown on their first possession, made it 21-16. Then the big play I was alluding to from Jalen Knox was a fumble on Missouri's first play of their next drive. They turned that into a quick t- quick touchdown, so it was 28-16. Then uh, Missouri, again, is stopped inside the Oklahoma State 10-yard line. Uh, they kick a field goal to get to 19 points, but Oklahoma State answers that with a quick touchdown drive to make it 35-19. And, man, things were looking bleak at that point. Yeah, I had almost given up on this game at that point. Um, And just, like you said, we were just completely dominated in, like, every way. And, yeah, bleak is really a pretty good way to describe it. It was just like, oh, man, this this is not good. Yeah, just the defense just letting anything happen. Whatever Oklahoma State wanted to do was working. And then that fumble was just awful. And then another just getting into the red zone and then not being able to do anything. It's just incredible. Mm-hmm. Just the way those events kind of just spiraled out of control. You're like, well, this game's just completely getting out of hand. Have you seen any other games from Missouri this year where you felt uh, like they've been spiraling out of control? Hmm, it sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, I just... You, those, yeah, it really does seem like uh, this entire year was just defined by... And then, terrible, terrible mistakes made in a very short amount of time and just completely took us out yeah. of, of And then any. they would do stuff like get back in the game like yeah. they did here. I mean, th- this was... This is what has made it so heart- heartbreaking and yeah. heart-wrenching all season is because they actually so, do give themselves a chance to win. Yeah, this was so... This was such a microcosm of Missouri's whole season. Just the, the every loss, it seemed like, was like this. Where Except the Alabama game, it was just like... Okay, like this oh, is well, such a weird now, game, yeah. but let's just throw it away as many ways as possible. Exactly. Um, 
to further cement uh, Missouri's third quarter woes, the offense got to midfield and then Drew Locke threw four straight incomplete passes for a turnover on downs. Um, but then things changed. Um, Cam Hilton picked off Taylor Cornelius, which is a fantastic quarterback name. Uh, and then in one play, Missouri's offense woke up with an 86-yard completion to Jonathan Johnson for the score. That made it 35-26 Oklahoma State. That's pretty much exactly what Mizzou had to do to give themselves yeah. a chance in this game is get a turnover and then score immediately. And it's like they did exactly that. Unfortunately, after that score, Barry Odom chose to kick the uh, point after instead of going for two and in the process wasted a timeout in just a really confusing sequence of, of events where there is, in my opinion, correct me if I'm wrong, there's really no reason to not go for two there. There's no right. reason to kick that extra point. They're up by 10 if they, well, I think th- well, if they kicked a extra point, then it would have made it a 10-point game. So it was 11 points before any kind of conversion. Right. No. Um, the, the 26 points for Mizzou is after the extra point is kicked gotcha okay so they're down nine after the extra point okay yeah of all the weird things i saw this year from odom that might have been just the absolute strangest thing i saw and i think his explanation of why he called a timeout and why they didn't go for two actually started like gaining some national attention like some guys were uh were questioning his his uh decision there and rightfully so it was just it was really bizarre yeah, I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. Uh, the worst part of the whole thing was if the, if you want to decide to kick the extra point, that's fine. But to waste a timeout like that when you just know you're going to need all the help possible to come back into this game. Yeah. And it just the clock management is definitely some, uh, to put it nicely, that is definitely an area that Barry Odom can improve. So they kick the extra point. Um, then basically history repeats itself. Cam Hilton picks off Oklahoma State, and Missouri this time only takes two plays and scores on a 55-yard touchdown run from Larry Roundtree. Yeah. And just like that, it's a two-point game. Yep. <laughs> Good for Cam Hilton uh, to go out on a high note, at least on a personal level. I know he kind of had a tumultuous career at Mizzou at times and took some heat a little bit from the fan base. Uh, but I think he had a really a pretty good year uh probably was the one of the anchors of the, of the secondary this year um he was known as kind of a boomer bust player before um, this season early yeah. and he kind of leveled off this yeah. season and then came up with huge plays in yeah, this he game was the only reason we had any shot at this game really yeah, um, basically the only player in the secondary that showed up <laughs> i completely agree uh yeah at this point i'm thinking well i think we're we probably might win now we've got so much ment- momentum and yeah. uh oklahoma state looked like just the air was completely sucked out of them after it this. It didn't look like they were going to be able to stop Missouri's offense, at least. Um, and then Missouri's defense stepped up. They forced a punt, and then Oklahoma State attempted a fake on the punt, but they were stopped short of the first down. So that was a gutsy move, and I honestly – okay, so I watch pretty much all my Mizzou stuff on Watch ESPN, mm-hmm. which can be frustrating at times. I got a nice delay from Twitter – Um, So I can see if I want to, I can just see what happens on Twitter before it happens on watch ESPN. But I see I'm watching it. The punter tucks the ball and starts running and my watch ESPN feed cuts out. (laughs) 
Oh, no. <laughs> so I have no idea if he makes it or not. So I just have to refresh Twitter and see that he didn't make it and give a sigh of relief. And then it, my feed comes back where I left off and I actually get to see the play. But I was kind of terrified there for a sec that, like, that, I don't know, that seemed like a really pivotal point in the game. Oh, absolutely. If they get that fake punt, then they I, I could really change sure things. I thought for sure we've got this game in the bag after that happened. Uh, honestly, I don't. I mean, it's easy to say after the fact, but I, I don't. If I'm Oklahoma State fan, I don't think I love that decision at all. Even if he gets it, I'm just like, oh, geez, that yeah. was that was so risky. And um, yeah, it sets up Missouri with the ball on Oklahoma State's 32-yard line. Yeah, so it, it basically was Gundy saying, I, I don't think this Missouri defense can stop us. So I just really want to keep our offense on the field. And I guess I can't blame him for that. We really couldn't stop him um, a lot if of the game. If that's your thinking, though, maybe just go for it. Yeah, I just mean, a normal. Yeah. I, well, I mean, what they had a ways to go though. Yeah. It was like a fourth and eight or something. But yeah, that was just a crazy that was play. Very I, gutsy. And, if, and at, when he first tucked it, it looked like he might get it. Yeah. And Missouri made because a good play. we're used to watching running backs. With running back speed, <laughs> yeah. taking running back angles, right, uh, and then you know the punt. So and, initially, you're right. I was right. like, oh, he's got all the room in the world to yep. run, but then it's a punter who's just an average human being. So and they caught up to him. Right after that, you see um, Coach Gundy on the sideline telling him, "Cut it upfield." Yeah. <laughs> and so, so yeah, I mean, Oklahoma State was trying to give this game to us. Clearly, yeah. uh, had so many opportunities. So what do we get the ball on? Like the twenty, thirty-two yard line. Thirty-two. Okay, and still weren't able to score. Yeah. So. Yeah, there was a third and one. Uh, Larry Roundtree was unable to pick up the first down. And Tucker McCann kicked a field goal that was blocked. So a completely wasted opportunity. You, Your defense that hasn't been able to stop them all night, all day, I guess, they just come up with a huge play just to stop the fake punt. Mm-hmm. And the offense is like, eh, we're not going to get any points. Yep. Again, it's like you said, a microcosm of this whole season where we are really really depending on the special teams unit and they completely <laughs> let us down yeah they, they come up with that awesome play stopping the fake and then you get a, right. a, a field goal blocked right gotta just, give them credit for the fake for stopping yeah. the fake but uh and, and then yeah what i mean as good as larry roundtree was in this game seemed like we had a, a several instances where he just wasn't able to get like one yard yeah short yardage and just got stuffed and, and, and it seemed like I think it's easy for fans to say this because it's something that I've thought you know, my entire life of watching football. But sometimes on those short yardage plays, you just feel like everybody knows you're going to run it. Mm-hmm. And they just sell out for the run. Yep. And if a defense is selling out for the run, a lot, and Missouri's done it this season. Yeah. They've sold out for the run on fourth and short and stuffed them, and it's awesome. And then we're kind of surprised when a team sells out for the run and stuffs our run. So Yeah, I, we'll probably get to this a little bit later because it's a pretty pivotal point in the game. But I, and as a fan, I am screaming at my TV that like we've got to do something more creative than that. And, I mean, a lot of the times it works. Just run it right off the gut. It's really simple, and it's very direct, and it works a lot of the times. But I'm also... When, just like when come on like they know you're gonna do yeah, it when safeties are up around the line of scrimmage they've just, got 10 guys in the box yeah they're just daring you to throw yeah mm. or just pitch it out or anything yeah other than that yeah but more on that in a few minutes <laughs> hey they could have like rolled lockout and tried for like only one option to jonathan johnson uh, yeah. going across the middle we don't like it when he does that so no i definitely don't we're gonna complain about anything if they don't get it it's it's always a bad play if they don't get it yeah maybe so 
Uh, Missouri gets the ball back with just under six minutes left. Still, or, Sorry, I, I missed something. Uh, Oklahoma State ran some clock down. They had to settle for a field goal. So it was 38-33 Oklahoma State. Um, Missouri got the ball back with just under six minutes left, which is plenty of time. Still a lot of game left. They moved into Oklahoma State territory uh, with a nice 32-yard completion to Jonathan Johnson. Uh, they were able to get a couple more first downs, and then they were in a fourth down situation at the Oklahoma State 25-yard line, and Locke found Johnson again for seven, for seven yards to get the first down. And then with two minutes remaining, Missouri had it at the Oklahoma State 11 on second and three. Larry Roundtree ran for two yards. So now we're on third and one, just like we were uh, a couple drives ago and Larry Roundtree has stopped for no gain. So here we are, fourth and one, and everybody knows they're gonna run the ball. I mean, every Oklahoma State defender was just playing run the entire time. Uh, this time, Drew Locke pulls it away from Roundtree, keeps it himself out of the shotgun, he runs to the near sideline, dives forward for the first down, but comes up easily a yard short. They mm -hmm. measure it, I don't know why, but he's, he's tackled a yard short. They turn the ball over on downs. And that's the end of the game because Oklahoma State's able to run the clock out. Yep. I, I just have so, so many thoughts on, <laughs> like, what happened in the last, like, minute of this game. Uh, first of all, I will say Jonathan Johnson played an excellent game. Amazing. Uh, was Nine really, receptions for really 185 yeah. yards. Came up in some really big moments in the game. So really happy for him on that. In his hometown. In his hometown. Yeah, that was really cool. Um Unfortunately, there were a lot of not cool things that happened, and uh, and like I said, it's easy to dissect this in retrospect and act like I know everything they should have done, because um, if I'm Barry Odom, I probably fail as miserably as well. But uh, in retrospect, uh, you've got like three plays to go like three yards, and they can't do it, and it seems like every single time they did the most predictable thing on earth, and... Uh, and it's probably if Drew Locke gets that first down on that fourth down play, we're probably talking about how gutsy of a play that was and how yeah, amazing. Drew Locke did it again. Yeah, you know, once a game, that play's there for him to take. Yes, exactly. But he didn't get it, and now we're just like, why? Why was that? And and that is not Dooley's fault necessarily. I mean, that was an option play. Drew could have given it to Larry Roundtree, and maybe they get the first down. But I think he probably made the correct read, but he tried to run all the way to the edge, and he just obviously doesn't have the speed to do that. Yeah. So It's just like the uh, Oklahoma State punter. Yeah. If, if you're in that situation and you're not the best athlete between you and the defender, you got to try to get upfield as right. quick as you can. Exactly. And so that's just not what any of us really wanted to see on the most pivotal play of the entire game. Um, was Drew Locke stumbling uh, for one yard to end his career. So it's it was kind of just sad to see that. He kind of laid just there an for a sec. An incredible, oh, an incredible career, but just marred by underperformance. It yeah. just ends in him stumbling <laughs> on the ground and not getting the first down. It's, it's such a shame because, I mean, he's literally one of the best quarterbacks like he's a top three quarterback in the history of the university of missouri and he just is the best the biggest win of his entire career was one ranked a random win. road win one ranked win in four years of yeah. starting literally like some of the best statistics of any quarterback in the history of the sec and one and, ranked win and don't get us wrong we adore drew Locke. we love we drew Locke. love drew lock Love watching him play. Loved his four years at Missouri, but it's just unbelievable that somebody 
so talented, just all the circumstances that surrounded his four years, just it ended up just not being the picture perfect, you know, college career that I'm sure he wanted. And I'm sure he had a lot of fun, won some games, put up a ton of stats, but this this one just it was a microcosm of the season. I think even more so it was a microcosm of Drew Locke's entire career. Yeah, because just almost there, but not quite. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't know what, what else they could have done in that last drive. I don't know if they could have tried to pitch it out to Larry Roundtree. I don't know if they could have tried to throw the ball to Beatty in like a screen. I don't know if they you know, could have tried to use Drew's arm a little bit more. I have no idea, but whatever the case is, they didn't get it. Um, and it, it was an incredibly disappointing end to that game. Yeah. I mean, it's so hard. Looking at the game as a whole, it's so hard to figure out exactly what, what went wrong on offense. I mean, obviously, they weren't able to get it done in the red zone, but why? I mean, Drew Locke, was, his stats were great. Mm-hmm. 23 of 38 for yeah, 373 right. yards and three touchdowns. Very efficient, except for in the red zone. Yeah. Larry Roundtree, 27 carries for 204 yards and a touchdown. Yeah, just monster days for both of those Hall, guys. two receptions for 72 yards. Well, he didn't play very much, and that, that that hurt us a lot. Yeah, the the fourth quarter, I think he was completely absent. Yeah, so. I think he only played thirteen snaps the whole game. I think he re kind of re injured his groin on the on the big pass play, so or so, you know somewhere around that point yeah. in the game. So you always wonder when he's not on the field. <laughs> Talk, exactly. Uh, you're gonna have to like keep a track of how many times I say microcosm, but the fact that Hall goes out, I mean. Yeah, that's another thing that Seriously. we dealt with this season. This whole this whole game was just like a, I don't know, just a reminder of mm-hmm. here's these little annoying things that happen in the year. <laughs> yeah. They're gonna happen again. Yeah. And uh, the same thing. There was just, just enough gap between the Arkansas game and this for us to kind of forget about all those right. things. And they're like special teams. No, we'll mess it up. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's the same things were there. You're yeah. right. And I, I wish that Emmanuel Hall was healthier this year. We've said that hundreds of thousands of times, <laughs> uh, but same. I just of, like, of course, he's hurt again and, and has to leave the game. Uh, but same thing. I, I love Emmanuel Hall, though. We're gonna miss him. He's a really, really fantastic athlete. And uh, but this yeah, point, I was actually watching a little um, Todd McShay breakdown of the Missouri roster, and he was talking about Drew Lock and um, the, the guys that we kind of have been talking about. But he said that. He sees um, he has a third round grade on Emmanuel Hall. Really, and um, same with he said. I, I'm not sure how exactly. I've never been one to really pay attention to the NFL draft too much. Just pay attention to where the Mizzou guys go. But he said he has um, Alberto as a day two guy. I've seen pro- I've seen projections for Alberto as high as the first round. I don't. I think we basically have about two weeks for him to decide if he's going to leave or mm-hmm. not. Uh, I honestly haven't really thought about it that much. Uh, I would really not be surprised either way to yeah. see if he leaves or Love not. Love to have him back for another season. But yeah, he's I mean, also like prototypical NFL body yeah. and and skill. So I wouldn't blame him whatsoever if he thinks he can get a first round grade. So that was it for for Missouri season. Um, they are going to finish. They now have finished eight and five. They'll all but surely fall out of the AP top 25 poll for the, the final poll of the season. Um, it's it's underwhelming, but not shocking. I wouldn't even say it's, it's disappointing when you see the results of the individual losses, but 
for the season on a whole, it's not not too terribly disappointing, I think. Yeah, it's not the end of the world. I, I think Barry Odom's got this program going in the right direction. Seems to be a lot of positive positive momentum, and uh, this was maybe a little bit of a of a barrier to to that, maybe temporarily. But well, I think it's have fine. A good, you can't have an improvement in the regular season and win a bowl game in the same season. <laughs> so now next year, let's get another good solid regular season and right. then cap it off with a bowl we can't have both can't have both that's yeah. just asking too much yeah yeah i i think uh this has been brought up quite a bit on twitter lately and i know that i talked about it a couple weeks ago in the podcast but it's uh still just that also that question about barry odom's preparation for any time they're given any amount of time to prepare he's like got a very bad record against power five teams whenever they have more than two weeks to prepare uh, so that just continues that, you know, question mark. Um, you got to wonder what will happen with the special teams yeah, definitely, in the offseason. Uh, Andy Hill's got one more year on his contract. They're not going to fire him because uh, he's been with Mizzou's football program for 500 years, and he's <laughs> uh, kind of the heart and soul of the of the program. But yeah. uh, they, I wouldn't be surprised if his duties got, you know, changed up a little bit or something. I don't really know. But we got him for one more year. Yep. So um, let's look a little bit towards next season just to finish off this football segment. What? Just give me one, one or two things. I know obviously everybody's excited about Kelly Bryant and what he will do with the offense and what Dooley will do with him um, as far as the running game that they could have with Bryant, Roundtree, Crockett, and Beatty. Is that what you're looking forward to the most, you think? Just seeing how – I mean, it's that's an easy one. Is there something else off the top of your head besides that? Yeah, um, just stability starting to take over in the program. <clears throat> Barry Odom's been here for several years now. He's starting to implement his guys and his system. Uh, Derek Dooley's going to be you know here for, for the second year. Um, <clears throat> there's not really anybody in like a – prominent coaching position that's going to be going in their first year barring something surprising mm-hmm. that happens in the offseason but um well we'll have some a little bit of uh we'll have something happen with uh, tight ends true that will that will be the only thing and i think that it, they might just uh shuffle things they around might just promote somebody within yeah. um but uh yeah yet yet to see on that but there's for the most part we pretty much have stability in in all coaching positions uh, and stability in in a lot of positions on the field too. And the people that are new have experience like Kelly Bryant or Jonathan Nance. Um, So yeah, I'm just looking forward to seeing how some of these young guys progress in another year and how they, uh, how they develop and got a pretty exciting, I mean, every year is exciting, but Mm -hmm. it seems like we got a pretty good uh, recruiting class coming in. So just the the, ev- the things I'm excited about every year, just to see how everybody progresses and see how this, the stability in the program af- affects performance on the field. Yeah, I think I'm most excited about just knowing, just seeing even this far ahead that there's a path to success. And I think they're right at the end of um, Gary Pinkle's career and uh, Barry Odom's first year. There was just, you just couldn't really see it. You know, you couldn't really, okay, what? how can this team be successful and there just wasn't a solid plan for how that could happen and i think this year especially and going into next year you can see you know there's pieces in place everything is set up to in a way where this team can succeed if they just execute so Mm -hmm. that's a lot better than just wondering 
just having question marks everywhere. Yeah, and a more favorable schedule as well. Yeah. All right. Well, you ready to move on to basketball? Ball is alive. <laughs> Missouri played and won a game against Moorhead State, the Eagles. Where Moorhead State is located, I could not tell you. But they won the game. <laughs> um, Moorhead, obviously. Obviously Moorhead. <laughs> the state of Moorhead. Um, Moorhead State could not make shots early. Missouri was draining shots early. Missouri jumped out to a 35-7 to lead, which is just insane. And it looked like, it looked like, it looked like they were going to hit 90 points. And yeah, this is a Division One basketball team, too, yeah. like that they were playing. I know some of you guys may not have even heard of Moorhead State, uh, but this is a Division One program. This right. is not some exhibition game against some D2 school or something. No. So uh, it was crazy yeah, what they I were joke, doing to but this, this team. This is a real opponent. Yeah, this yeah. is crazy how good Missouri was at the beginning of this game. Um, so they just cruised the whole first half. They just completely cruised. They were up 23 at halftime. Um, after halftime, the second half is a bit of a different story. Um, the, I, I hate to blame everything on the refs, but the refs absolutely took Jeremiah Tillman out of this game. I mean, it won't be remembered as some of the most egregious, um, Jeremiah Tillman related officiating just because it didn't matter. Right. But it was some of the worst he has experienced at Missouri. He was called for five fouls in 12 minutes. One was just an inexplicable offensive foul where he was just posting up the defender, gets whistled for the foul. It just makes no sense sometimes. Uh, That's one of the most infuriating things about basketball is how often the refs have to interfere because they have to. That's just what this sport is. But it seems like there's so many times in the game where you're just like, what? Like, how is that? It just worries me that, I don't know. I mean, I just hope that he, I don't know how I would deal with that. Like as a player, just, just these fouls not making any sense, being so Mm -hmm. inconsistent. At this point, it's literally probably been a barrier to his development because it's always in the back of his mind. Mentally, I honestly don't know how I would deal with it as a player. I, I mean... I just got to hope that he is strong mentally and I have every indication that he is and that he's able to get past this. And I know Conzo is working with him on that, that aspect of it, but it is just so frustrating to watch sometimes when just, I, I just don't, I really have no explanation for it. I mean, there's certain actions. We talked about this before about how he can stay on the field or on the court. <laughs> uh, but sometimes it just seems like it doesn't matter. Like, yeah, I don't know. I gave the blueprint a couple of weeks ago how he can stay on the court, and honestly, he followed it in this game, and it just didn't matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry, I'm still laughing about how you said <laughs> on the field. Uh, Jeremiah Tillman starting at quarterback next year for Missouri. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, it, I, I have to admit that I was out of town, and I was watching this game on my phone, and it was like really bad quality on because I didn't have great internet, but... Um, yeah, from what I from what I saw, it was just infuriating, like fouls on on Tillman. And at this point, like you said, I don't even know what else you do, because it just looked like him playing basketball yeah. and getting called for fouls because he's large and he's athletic, and it sometimes looks like he's very powerful, because <laughs> yeah. I think he is. Right. Um, and I think that is sometimes to his demise. Oh yeah. 
So with Tillman out of the picture, um, Conzo Martin decided to do something interesting and basically just experiment with lineups the entire second half. Um, you would think with Tillman being in foul trouble, Reed Nico would get a lot of run in the second half. That did not happen. He played seven minutes, and we saw some very interesting lineups. Um, one of them, give me your thoughts, we had Penson, Geist, Mark Smith, Javon Pickett, and Kevin Perrier at the five. Honestly, I think I really like that lineup if Tillman is on the floor instead of Perrier. I, I kind of thought the same thing. But um, for some reason, that lineup now is just kind of like, eh, yeah. I don't really like it. Okay, okay, I understand. Just because there's like no size at all. Right, okay, try this one then. Okay. Penson, Geist, of course, Mark Smith, but then we have Torrance Watson and KJ Santos at the five. I don't know. That might be even, that might be even worse. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, because you have no, you have one forward. I mean, I could you could call Pickett a forward. Mm-hmm. I think a small. Yeah, a small a, forward. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Watson is very much a guard. I think Smith is absolutely Santos a guard. Santos is not. Santos a five. is going to play the five as a three, basically. Yeah. Did we, uh, can we get the statistical team on, like research team on how many points were scored with these lineups out there? Actually, you can. Um, I don't have it pulled up in front of me, but um, who's uh, who's our uh, podcast fellow that does the show with uh, Sam Snelling on Rock M? Matt Harris? Yes, Matt Harris. If you go to his Twitter, he has actually broken down the different lineups. And okay, I'll have to check that um, out. How, how they produced during the game because I knew somebody probably took the time yeah um we also saw Mitchell Smith at the five with Santos or Perrier at the four which made a little bit more sense and I'll say these these first two lineups that I'm talking about kind of joking about because they were used very sparingly Mm -hmm. just for a few minutes here and there and then uh usually a bigger player was subbed in quickly but it was not working Uh, none of these small lineups really did anything I mean they they scored a bit because they're just better, more talented. Yeah, because they're playing more head state. Yeah, and they're able to make shots from time to time. But as far as a flow to the offense, that was non-existent, and it was not a very good defensive lineup either. Um, Santos, I feel like, has a ways to go with his off-ball movement on offense and just his defensive awareness. I mean, you can just tell he's been away from the game for a little while. And Morehead State did cut the lead to 10 at one point, but Missouri just being the better team, Without a doubt, they held on, and they had such a huge lead that it was going to be a monumental collapse for them to throw it away. But Missouri held on. It'll count as a win. Uh, Ken Palm didn't really like it very much because none of the statistical efficiency stats improved. So so at this point, I think we can say one of the massive, massive keys of the season, which we pretty much already knew, but now we really, really know. Yeah is Jeremiah Tillman has to be playing on the field. <laughs> right, Cameron? Yes. Keep Jeremiah Tillman on the field. Good things will happen for Missouri. Yeah, well, more so it's just if he's not, bad things will happen. Bad things will definitely happen. Because uh, he's good. We know that. But yeah. if he's not on there, then who on earth are we going to put out there? Yeah. And I'm sorry, I just don't really want Santos playing, like no, matching I, up against Grant Williams next week. Yeah, I mean, if we look at seeing how this played out, I wish we could go back and play Nico for 20 minutes in the second half just to see what would happen. I mean, give him as many minutes at the five as possible just to see if it was better. But 
if that had gone poorly, then I'd be saying, man, I wish I could go back and see what small lineups would do. Yeah, it's almost like we need uh, like Jonte or something on our yeah, team. Yeah, it's, it's almost like a first-round NBA draft pick would be helpful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I know we're going to talk about this in our Tennessee previews, so maybe I shouldn't bring it up now. Well, let's, but... work, let's work our way into just a, an overall feelings about the non-conference. Okay, let's do that. So Missouri after the non-conference is 9-3, and three, which is fantastic. Couldn't have asked for much better than that. Maybe a little better if they just beat Temple. But uh, they have their number 75 in Ken Palm. They've been higher than that. Obviously, they've definitely been lower than that. Um, the offense is ranked 111th, and the defense ranked 65th. They have losses to number 16, Iowa State, number 46, Kansas State, and number 73, Temple. And then some wins of note over number 80, Oregon State, number 36, UCF, and number 74, Xavier. Yeah, I'd say that the non-conference schedule went pretty much as expected. I think maybe we lost a game where we didn't think we would, Temple, and we probably won a game or two that we maybe weren't expecting, Oregon State and Xavier. i say f- for the most part everything else went pretty much exactly how we expected it to. Mm-hmm. Uh, another couple th- you know, toss-up games were Illinois and UCF and ended up pulling both of those out. So I, I think this has been a successful non-conference season, barring all of the things on hand. Uh I'm I'm pretty satisfied. Yeah, I mean, we're kind of in the same situation we were last year, where I'm looking at this and I'm like, if even if we had Jonte, would I? I would want that Temple game for sure. But if they lost to Iowa State and Kansas State with Jonte, I'd be like, yeah. oh, well, honestly, ten and two, would, would, yeah. I'd be happy with that with Jonte. I'm sure, yeah. yeah, that'll keep us right on the bubble where we expect to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, one thing that I was kind of looking at, I was curious, one of the big things we talked about in the offseason was replacing the production of um, Cassius Robertson and Jordan Barnett, specifically their three-point shooting. And I think it's easy to say that th- this current Missouri team has outperformed our expectations in that area specifically. So I looked at just in the non-conference from last season, and I took um, Robertson and Barnett's three-point shooting they were a combined 67 for 172 which is 39 percent from three and then i looked at mark smith javon pickett and i added in torrence watson because i um minutes wise they are that's a pretty comparable threesome to the um, production that those two players were that had last season um even those three combined still didn't shoot as many threes. They were 58 of 141 so far this season, good for 41%. So I am thrilled with the replacement production that replacing what we lost from Robertson and Barnett so far. Yeah, that's definitely been the most surprising thing of this season, good or bad, in my opinion, is just how well we've shot the three. Uh, Jordan Geist has been fantastic and uh, Mark Smith has been better probably than I expected, and Spe- uh, especially shooting shooting the ball. Yeah, he's been. I mean, he he's shot been great. Twenty percent last year for Illinois. Yeah, he looks definitely like he's got his swagger back and is looking confident. very confident. Uh, so we'll see if Missouri can continue that in conference season. Whenever it's just a grind and everybody plays really good defense all the time and two games a week every week. Yeah. yeah. So I th- I don't think they'll be able to keep that up, but. At this point, knowing how thin we are in the front court, we just have to keep shooting that well to mm-hmm. really beat anybody. Right. Yeah, you have to hope it continues. Um, so, yeah, overall success for the non-conference. It, it sets up Missouri to overachieve based on preseason expectations, especially once Jonte went out. 
So I think couldn't ask for much more. I think if they are on the bubble, I said this last week, if they do end up on the bubble, we'll be looking at that Temple game and hoping that they end the season strong. But looking ahead to SEC play, um, Missouri is only projected, according to Ken Palm, to um, their projected favorites in only seven SEC games. Uh, Ken Palm has them finishing uh, 16 and 14 overall, 7 and 11 in the conference, which would be good for 11th place. Um, there's obviously some variance that can go into that. If you look at the overall projections on Ken Palm, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight teams within three games um, in the projected SEC standings. So he's got a nine and nine team finishing seventh in the conference. I remember so, that happening last year. I know we did a bunch of uh, those simulations on Bart Orvik. Yeah. Uh, and it truly is every single game <clears throat> is incredibly important to how the season ends and if Missouri makes the tournament because I just they're not going to make the tournament if they're 11th place in the SEC. Nope. Uh, there's just not they're not going to have. 10 or 11 teams from one conference make the the tournament i think they probably have to finish sixth or seventh at best um and they're gonna have to to pull off some road wins too um to be able to do that but yeah when you're looking at the like the seventh or the seven wins that they're projecting for missouri so they're projecting losses like on the road at texas a&m um on the road at arkansas so I mean, obviously, it's hard to go to Arkansas and win, but and then you got home games against like Mississippi that are considered wins mm -hmm. right, in the projections. So, so many of those games can go either way. Right. Where yeah. you lose one more than expected, you're down second to last in the conference. Win two more than expected, you're all the way up to seventh place. Yeah, and if you think back to last year, uh, for one, how close it was at the at the end of the year. You know, one game was setting all those teams apart in the middle of the pack. And we kind of stole a couple games where I'm not really – I was surprised we did when we beat Tennessee and we beat Alabama on the road, beat South Carolina on the road, but we lost to Ole Miss at home. Right. We lost that horrible game to Florida at home. Right. That was maybe the most disappointing yeah. – one of the most disappointing basketball games I've ever watched. But and it had huge implications for the NCAA exactly. tournament. They so, win that game. Exactly. That maybe moves them up a whole seed line Yeah. So if, there, if that's a win. I don't want to – I don't need any more reasons to become more emotionally involved in, in the sports <laughs> I root for uh, because I'll probably already be depressed as it is if we lose a game. But it truly, every single game matters, and we just got to gotta steal one in any way we can. So what are you predicting? Do, well, do, you, do you like this Missouri team in conference play better than Ken Palm's 7-11? record or or worse or i think i like them without going game by game i think i like them one game better than that i think i like them eight and ten i don't know why my voice keeps cracking <laughs> like i because I, I finally hit you getting so emotional about I know, this I, sec I, season but i think that makes sense um i i think there's a couple things i can guarantee just about missouri is not going to go undefeated at home no um they're not that good of a team to to go undefeated at home so be prepared for that but they're not going to lose every game on the road either mm -mm. so i think i i think i'm right there with you honestly i, I know i hate it when we just do say the exact same thing but um eight and ten is 
very it makes a lot of sense i I think that's exactly what i predicted in our little predictions that we did before the season started was 16 and 13 and 8 and 10 right which would be remarkable if they they actually did exactly that just is perfectly mediocre as we as we predicted (laughs) uh but um i I don't know do you think they get i mean it's just impossible to to predict with much accuracy but if they do end up at 8 and 10 do you think they're in the tournament no um, I was kind of looking back, I was looking at last year and I was looking at Alabama who did make the tournament at eight and 10. They were 20 and 16 overall, eight and 10 in conference, but they had a road win over LSU. They had a road win over Florida. They had a home win over Tennessee and then they won two games in the SEC tournament. So I just don't think – I just – Missouri, they had Colin Sexton. I mean, Alabama had Colin Sexton last year, and he was good enough to put them over the edge in some of these games. I think Jonte Porter would have been good enough to put Missouri over the edge in some of these games, but they just don't have a go-to guy that's just going to pull these games out for them like Sexton did last year for yeah. for Alabama. That's a good point. I mean, the non, the, like we said, the non-conference season was pretty much unaffected, I think, by having Jonte or not having right. him. I'm not sure that we would have seen that much of a difference in win-loss. But in the SEC slate, I think Jonte could have easily accounted for two or, a two or three games yeah, winning. absolutely. Um, so when you look at Alabama from last year, it, that's that's Missouri's path to the NCAA tournament. I don't think it happens because you're going to have to do something like win beat this, Tennessee. Beat, beat Tennessee at home. You're going to have to do something like that. You're going to have to um, beat Kentucky at home. You, you're going to need multiple really good quality wins like Alabama had last year if you're going to try to make the tournament because the middle of the SEC this year is weaker than it was last year. That's what's going to be my next point is what makes this difficult now is the SEC has not been as strong as maybe we initially thought it was going to be. Uh, so it makes it even more that much more difficult to get quality wins because right. some of these teams don't look as good on your resume as they might have last year. I think they might be just as strong at the very top, which doesn't help Missouri at all because – Missouri wasn't really beating the teams at the top last year. Right. Tennessee is far and away the best team in the SEC right now. Um, If if Missouri were to win on January 8th against Tennessee at home, I would probably say they will make the NCAA tournament. I think I would agree with you. I think it's very unlikely that they beat Tennessee. 7%. (laughs) And I... I, I don't think it's going to happen, and I just don't think they'll make the NCAA tournament. I mean, losing to Tennessee, that's a, that's a huge – this game is a huge opportunity to get a, a really uh, a monster win for their resume. And I just think halfway through the conference season, we will kind of realize that there's just not the quality wins out there that, mm-hmm. that are attainable for Missouri to, to pull right. it off. We need Which, to have a uh, rally for Ryan event. next week yeah i I probably shouldn't have said that (laughs) (laughs) i mean it was automatic wins for missouri yeah um overall though i just i i don't think it'll even be much of a bubble conversation when we get to the end of the season um it just i don't think it's going to be missouri's year for that i agree i think long way to go yep we'll see what happens well 
We'll let's start off with this Tennessee game. Tennessee is really, really good. You had something already that I cut you off you wanted to say about Tennessee. I was just going to say, I don't know who in the world is going to guard Grant Williams. I, I mean, I think I know who's going to try. Okay. I think Kevin Perrier is going to try. I and mean, the only thing, the only reason Kevin Perrier has a shot in this matchup at all is because they're actually both undersized. And, and Grant Williams won't extend to the three-point line very often. Right. That's the only thing that gives Kevin Breyer a shot in this matchup. Yeah. It's it's amazing he's as good as he is, honestly, because he's so undersized, mm-hmm. but he's just an incredible player. I mean, top 20 player in the country easily. Yeah. He's actually uh, seventh in the Ken Palm Player of the Year ranking so far. He's averaging 20 points per game, eight rebounds per game, four assists per game, shooting 60% from the field. He doesn't shoot very many threes at all, but he is shooting 41% from three. Wow. Oh, well, I'm pretty sure Jonte did a a decent job guarding him last year um but we that, don't exactly have that luxury that this extra year. size definitely would help mm-hmm. but um and that i mean that ken palm is, t- is basically just looking at how efficient he is as a player and how many different ways he can contrib- ways he contributes so like 20 points per game is great but and he's he, also incredibly efficient he is <laughs> and if he has an off night then there's a couple other dudes on that team yeah um senior forward admiral Schofield would probably be the best player on just about any other team in the country, um, aside from Duke and some other teams. But he is really, really good, averaging 18 points per game, six rebounds per game, shooting 52% from the field and 44% from three. So he just, and he shoots threes. He's not afraid to shoot threes. I think he made six or seven threes in their win over Gonzaga earlier in the season. Um, They're just, really really good they're ranked third in the ap poll 11th in kim palm they're the sixth rated offense as far as efficiency and the 32nd rated defense did anybody expect rick barnes to come in here and be this good like three years down the I road definitely it's just didn't. insane i was gonna say i was gonna mention as much as i love rooting against uh tennessee football I find myself rooting for this Tennessee basketball team. I, just, I actually am kind of in the same boat. I hate <laughs> them in football so much, but they're really not that bad in basketball. Yeah, and I, I mean, I know there's obviously It's the same hi- fans, I, I know. know, but... And there's bad history between them and Conzo Martin that I I don't like, but um, I I mean, Rick Barnes seems like a good guy, seems like a good coach. I, yeah, I like that, Grant Williams, seems like a, yeah, a stand-up guy. The players that they have, they just are... They just are really hard workers, and they they are undersized guys, and none of them are highly touted recruits either. They've they've very uh, they've overperformed their rankings by yeah. far. They're just they play really well as a team. They are incredibly efficient. Like I said, they're they're very athletic. They they're not huge. Um, they don't have like NBA size, but they're athletic all over the court. I mean, they've got a, a junior guard, Jordan Bone, who averages 14 points per game and six and a half assists per game. He's got the 35th best assist rate in the country. So it's just like they have pieces that complement each other so well that he's dishing it out to these guys. They're such efficient scorers that he's just racking up assists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is It is a remarkably tough taf- task. I think Tennessee easily wins the SEC this year, and I think they're a Final Four caliber team. Yeah. Uh, so huge, like you said, a huge opportunity for Missouri. Not likely at all, but um, if you're going to be in the area or you're thinking about going to the game, uh, go make an impact and and cheer on your Tigers and 
see what happens. At least go just to see a really good Tennessee team, mm-hmm. if nothing else. I mean, that, that gets people out for the Kentucky matchup every year. Right. So might as well do the same thing for Tennessee. Right. Try to make it a difficult uh, place to play for them at the very most. Yeah. I just I don't see a whole lot that – I mean, with – they've got a 6'11 center, like a true center, um, who's pretty athletic that will match up fairly well with, with Tillman. I think they'll double Tillman every time he touches the ball. Uh, I think Missouri is going to need to double Williams in the post every time he touches the ball. Um, I guess Javon Pickett is going to guard Schofield, which, I mean, he seems to embrace those tough matchups on defense, so... Maybe he'll be I'd probably trust him to, more than anybody oh, yeah, to guard him. I would, if I was the coach, I would put him on him for sure. Um, when when Pickett needs a breather, though, I don't know what they'll really do to try to slow him down. They'll probably take advantage of that matchup. Yeah, Pickett might might play north of thirty five minutes in this game. Yeah, hopefully he stays out of foul trouble. But just when you look at Tennessee's schedule, they're just incredibly impressive, and they they have put in the work in the non conference with some incredible games. Their only losses to Kansas in overtime. We know how good Kansas court, is. Yeah. yeah, they beat Gonzaga. That was a huge win for them. Gonzaga, Gonzaga was ranked number one in the country at the time. So they've they've got the resume so far. If they have a really good conference season, to be looking at a one or two seed in the NCAA tournament. Definitely, I think they're that good. I really do. And I'll be I would be rooting for them to go to the Final Four for sure. Mm-hmm. They just are a likable team and just really hard working they hustle all over the floor and they're just fun to watch because when you're the sixth ranked um offense in the country you're going to put up points and that's really <laughs> always draws the eyeballs so you think missouri has a chance seven percent missouri's at home ken palm likes them better than that really ken palm gives them 30 percent. oh my goodness <laughs> what a terrible website no, i'm just kidding <laughs> i can't trust them now i mean if they are at home, they're yeah, at home. And they're going to have to shoot the lights out. Tillman has to stay on the field. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I feel bad for anybody who listens to future, who doesn't listen to this episode and listens to future episodes because I'm only going to say field from now on. <laughs> that is now a thing. <laughs> um, Tillman has to stay on the field. You got to stay out of foul trouble. You got to make threes and hopefully do something that will hopefully somebody will be off for Tennessee. That's about the best you can hope for. Yeah. If all of those things happen, we may be looking at a win, but yeah. it's it's really going to have to be a perfect storm. Oh, one thing I didn't write down here, but you should know, Tennessee does not turn you over as a defense. Okay. So, all right. I'll give them 30% then. <laughs> you agree with Ken Palm now. I do. Yeah. So Tennessee's defense is 208th in the country at forcing turnovers. Um, I think we'll see... As they go through the SEC season, their rankings will come closer together because I think their defense will prove to be better than efficiency-wise, better than it's ranked right now. And I think they will go up against a few better defenses than they've played so far. So their offensive rating will slip just a little bit. Mm-hmm. But being, I think in the, stay being around, around the top thirty in both—that's just you're just—that's a recipe for Sweet Sixteen at minimum, I think. Mm-hmm. Last year, they only got tripped up by um, Loyola, Loyola Chicago. That, that was a crazy a, game. Yeah, I remember watching upset. that. So what do you like for your prediction? 
Uh, man. I like Tennessee 72 to 63. I would consider that a success for Missouri's defense because Tennessee is regularly scoring in the 90s. Um, 80, like 83 is one of their lowest outputs so far this season. Scored 76 against Gonzaga. Um, man, I want to I wanna just predict a Missouri win, and that'll just catapult them and just start it off, lead them to the NCAA tournament. But I just really don't think that's going to happen. I think Tennessee's going to win. And if I had to pick a score, I feel like it's harder to pick basketball scores than it is football scores. But maybe 76 to 63. So I like your 63, but I think Tennessee will score a few more than you. But hopefully, I'd just love for it to be a close game and Missouri to execute well and just give – because this is an opportunity where – Missouri could have a good loss on and the resume. Their Ken Palm like yeah. ranking by five or ten spots. Yeah, <laughs> just if by they, making it close. If they actually play well yeah. and execute, and but just aren't the better team, mm-hmm. and nobody would fault them for that. If they were to pull off an upset, this would be one of the biggest wins that Mizzou has had, maybe since joining the SEC, if not the biggest. I mean, last year, um, beating Kentucky yeah. was their was that so that far. was huge definitely just because of the brand that yeah. kentucky is but they weren't that kentucky the, they team weren't was even, not as good as this tennessee no team. they weren't even the, the best team or even close that we played last year yeah but i do understand that what you mean that was a huge win right uh but this tennessee team like if we haven't if we haven't told you enough <laughs> this team is fantastic yes they're very good uh anything else about sec you, you think tennessee is going to win the whole thing i think that's a easily a great, a great pick easily only I think the only per- team that can challenge them is maybe Auburn, yeah. and I think Kentucky's a, a third place. Mm-hmm. But those three at the top, plus Florida, I think makes the the top of the SEC pretty strong. And I think those four teams would have a pretty good showing in the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Florida's been a little bit disappointing, but I think they're they're turning the corner. Yeah. Well, anything else? We'll uh, we'll break down this Tennessee game next week we'll preview two games because it's gonna be two games a week from here on out and um, we'll have some sort of tournament of champions content undecided on exactly what form that'll take but look out for that especially if you're interested in any big time high school basketball recruits you can find this I uh, okay you can find this <laughs> iTunes where do you find iTunes I Kyle? really didn't I didn't start that off very well did I all right you can find this podcast on iTunes Google Play Music and Spotify. You can tweet us at Mizzou Sports Pod, and you can email us at Missouri Sports Pod at gmail.com. And you can find me on Twitter at C underscore hour 08. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We will see you next week.